And you may be seated. Well, turn your Bibles with me. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning a new series today called The End Times. Second Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read it verse 10, but in the preceding verses, the question has been asked, where is the promise of Christ's second coming? And uh, Scripture would go on to say that uh, the fact that he's been slow doesn't mean that he doesn't care or is not coming But he is waiting for more people to come to Christ. But now listen to verse 10. The day of the Lord, his coming will come like a thief. People will be unaware. They'll be caught off guard. And notice this next word. And then. Then the heavens will pass away. Talking about the planets. They'll pass away with a roar. And heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Not something that you'd hear in the modern media. But the Bible says there is a day when God is going to bring us a new heaven and a new earth. And this one will disappear. We're told by climate alarmists, those that believe that uh, we are causing the destruction of the planet. They're telling us that we don't have any time left. The earth is going to be destroyed. Unless you're a billionaire and can get on your own spaceship and escape, you're in big, big trouble. Let me say this, don't believe them. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about the fact that I drive a car, that I'm going to destroy the planet, and one day it'll all fall apart. I'm concerned about the fact that Jesus said one day he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Notice what it says, verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, the sun, the moon, the stars. He says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness holiness and godliness? In other words, living a strong Christian life, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to this promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's a picture of the future. The day of the Lord is a word that's used broadly that describes end-time events that will occur before time is no more. One day the Bible teaches that time as we know it will stop. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and eternity will unfold before us. These end-time events include things like the second coming of Christ, the rapture of the church, the great tribulation, a real-life figure called the Antichrist that will rule the entire world, the great white throne judgment that people will stand before and be judged, the creation of a new heaven and new earth, heaven, hell, and eternity. All these end-time events, will, when time will cease and eternity will begin. Well, in this new series, it's called The End Times. My intent over the next five weeks is not to be predictive, It is not to give you a sequence of events. I'm not handing out charts. I'm not that smart. People way smarter than me disagree on the charts. I am going to tell you, though, and teach you about what the Bible talks about in terms of end-time events. But my focus is going to be not just on what's coming down the road, but how should I be living today. How many know when the Antichrist comes, I can't stop him? How many know when there is a recreation of the, of the heavens and the earth? I can't do anything about that. But I can each day to be faithful to serve the Lord. I can each day to keep my focus on Christ. So this is where we're going. Today we're going to start in Mark chapter 13, 
I'm going to look for this week and next week at what Jesus said about the last days. Then we'll go to the book of Revelation for a couple of weeks. And then we'll end up with what the Bible talks about in eternity, about heaven and hell, very real places. And I think it will not only inform you, but inspire you to be more diligent in the Christian life. But let's begin today, Jesus and the last days, part one. If you've got your Bibles, uh, turn Mark chapter 13. We're going to do a verse by verse through most of the chapter in which Jesus predicted the future. Uh, there are parallel passages in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. But Mark 13, let's read what Jesus said. Jesus came out of the Jewish temple. One of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Now listen, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In other words, a destruction. This Jewish temple was considered an architectural wonder of the ancient world. It was built with large white polished stones. They were decorated with gold. It was ornate to the nth degree. If you think of the ancient city of Jerusalem, it covered one-sixth of the space of Jerusalem was a temple complex. It was the, the pride of Jewish life, yet it would be destroyed by Rome as an act of God's judgment on rebellious Israel. This literally was fulfilled in AD, 20, AD 70. There was a Roman leader, his name was Titus. He came in, he destroyed the, uh, captured the city and destroyed the temple. Uh, uh, historians, uh, as I read, said that Titus was going to try to keep the temple as a sign of the mercy of Rome, but yet the Roman soldiers so hated the Jews that they burned it to the ground and defiled it. Now, this sets up this chapter as we talk about the last days. This chapter is viewed in a near-term look and a long-term look. In the near-term look, we're looking at 70 A.D. We're looking at what Titus would do in some 40 years from their day. But in the long-term look, we're looking at events that have yet to be fulfilled. That the book of Revelation would speak about, about a real-life figure called the Antichrist. About the literal second coming of Christ. That's where we'll end up today. But let's go to verse 3. Uh, Jesus, uh, see, uh, Jesus said, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and once you get a picture of this huge temple complex, about 100 feet up was the Mount of Olives that Jesus was on. So they were looking down on this beautiful temple. And Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately and said, tell us, yeah, when? See, when I do this, I want you to tell me what the next word is, okay? Uh, if you do that, I'll preach shorter. How about that? Okay. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished. And isn't that what everybody wants to know? When's it going to happen and, and what's going to be going on? But what I want you to see is Jesus gave them a totally different answer. They were looking for a chronology and Jesus said this, see that no one leads you astray. In other words, don't be deceived. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. In other words, I'm the Christ. I'm Jesus incarnate. I'm the Messiah. And they will lead many people astray. Now, instead of emphasizing chronology of end time events, he emphasized our faithfulness to him. It's like when we become a Christian. How many know we're not born a Christian? See, when I say something good, you can say amen. It makes me feel better. We keep going. How about that? But we're not born a Christian. 
We are born again as Christians. Our sin separates us from God, but it is through the, re, uh, the spiritual rebirth that we are joined to Christ. And what Jesus is saying, when these end time calamities come, be careful that no one pulls you away from me. Stay faithful to me. Stay faithful to your mission to reach the world. Jesus would say, persecution is coming. Uh, Jesus said a number of times to be watchful and on your guard. Let your faith be steadfast. Now, I want to pause for a moment when Jesus talked about false Christs would come. I was curious about that and see how many had been recorded. I, I, I went to, to a Wikipedia, uh, not always correct, but oftentimes good information. And I simply typed in the phrase, list of people who claim to be Jesus. And we went back several centuries. They start in the 18th century, uh, but we're going to skip there. 18th century, the 19th century begins to have a lengthy list of people. Uh, most of these I've not even heard of. Um, here's a guy, John's Very, or Jones Very. What an interesting name. Uh, he was a poet, a scholar, a Greek tutor at Harvard. Uh, he served a, served, uh, served a, suffered a nervous breakdown and then claimed to become the second coming of Jesus Christ. And people would follow him. Keep going to the next century. Um, people are everywhere. Now, this is in the 20th century, the 1900s. I want to reference a couple of them. Has anyone ever heard of a man named Sun Young Moon? If you've been around a little while, uh, his followers were called Moonies. Uh, he was believed by members of the Unification Church to be the Messiah and the second coming of Christ. Notice, fulfilling Jesus' unfinished mission. Now, the way you know the difference, when Jesus said, don't be deceived, how do we know what's right or wrong? Many people can be influenced by a well-dressed or a charismatic or a rich speaker. You know, that can influence a person. But the way we know the difference is what does the Bible clearly teach us? For example, if you know your Bible and Sun Moon said he came to finish Jesus' unfinished mission. How many know Jesus, when Jesus was on the cross and bowed his head and said it is finished, he completed his mission. So if you know your Bible, you'll avoid deception. Uh, anyway, he and his wife were said to be the true parents of humankind as the second Adam and Eve. On that one. Is anyone, how about Jim Jones? Anyone remember a guy named Jim Jones? Both of these guys were active. Actually, the Moonies, when I was in the Navy, I was in California in the Bay Area, went to San Francisco one weekend, and we're walking the streets of San Francisco, and these young people, they were called Moonies, unbeknown to us, looked normal and fine, started giving us literature, telling us about their ranch, trying to get us to come up. They were trying to recruit us. Well, here's another guy. I was in my mid-20s. Jim Jones founded the People's Temple. Uh, let's see. Uh, he went on. He, he claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus. Well, he also picked up Buddha. He was Buddha, too, and Vladimir Lenin. He had it all kind of rolled together, Father Divine. Anyway, uh, he organized a mass suicide at Jonestown, Guyana. So there were literally, I can't remember, six, seven, eight hundred people that drank the Kool-Aid and were destroyed because they thought they were following the true Messiah. So when we say that people will come and say they're Jesus, I'm telling you, friends, all around the world, people follow deceivers. Now look at verse 7. Jesus said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. 
There will be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines. And then notice what it says. These are but the beginning of birth pains. Any woman that's had a baby knows that when she goes into labor, she wishes she had never met her husband or boyfriend. Come on. And all the ladies said, yeah. But that first birth pain doesn't suggest that the baby's going to be born in two minutes. It suggests the baby is coming. And similarly, whether it's wars in Iraq, World War II, the Korean War, uh, North Korea and whatever they may do, these are not predictive, but yet they are preparatory. They should be reminders of us. For example, uh, earthquakes. Uh, if you like to follow geology and, 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 and you're following the earthquakes that are happening around the ring of fire, you know, and the volcanic activity. Well, when you see that, it should be a reminder to you that Jesus said we are getting closer every day to the second coming of Christ. Uh, likely there will be intense suffering before the end of time. In a couple weeks, we're going to look at the book of Revelation. And one thing you see about Revelation, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of death, there's a lot of famine, there's a lot of heartache, there's a lot of people who are dying on the earth for the plagues that are befalling this planet. Uh, it is a form, a, a precursor of divine judgment. But notice again in verse 9 what Jesus said about this. What did he say? Be on, Be on your guard. In other words, if you knew, for example, if a... I don't know, let's say we're in Sam's shopping after church and uh, there's a crazy guy coming around and he's looking for you or he's looking for me. You know, and you say, hey, preacher, watch out. Somebody's coming after you. Well, I'm not going to go hide behind the toilet paper. I'm going to get ready. You know, I'm going to remember my crawl my gall. Remember that I'm packing. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be ready. You didn't think I could do that, did you? Well, what's my point? You're going to be ready. You're going to be prepared is what Jesus is saying. Now, these next few verses are, in my opinion, probably the, the meatiest one for us. They offer a lot for us to understand the dynamics. Be on your guard. Notice now, they will deliver you over to councils and you'll be beaten in synagogues. Remember, we're interpreting this now through a short view and a long view. The short view is through the tribulation. It's through the uh, A.D. 70 destruction of the temple. The long view is the Antichrist. Uh, so be on your guard. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to do what? Bear witness. In other words, you're in this spot, but you're there so you can tell people about Jesus. Now, this next verse, verse 10, is in my opinion the most pivotal verse in the whole chapter. See, I can't do anything about the Antichrist or the destruction of the planets, but this next verse I can. Jesus said the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And if we read further in Matthew 24, it said it's going to be proclaimed through the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So my end-time barometer is not activity in the Middle East. My end-time barometer is the gospel going to the, all of the entire world. That's why as a church we are so committed to world missions. My wife has a team now in the jungles of Mexico in the Lacandone jungle. Uh, Dave Grant, one of our members, is ministering in the underground church in India today because our responsibility is to take the gospel not just to Texarkana, but is to take it to the nations of the world. Now let's keep reading verse 11. Uh, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over. Now this is pretty cool. Don't be anxious beforehand what you're going to say. But you say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it's not you who speak. 
Has anyone ever been in, been in a situation where you didn't know what to say and you just uttered a prayer under your breath, Lord help me, and you found that your mouth was just filled with words? How many have experienced something like that? Sure. Well, this is what he's saying. You don't have, and I don't have to be afraid. And I don't share these things to make you afraid. Now, how many know the fear of God is a good thing? But this is not to make you afraid. This is to make you aware and to be ready for what would come. Now, verse 12 is very troubling to me. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Now, I've got a brother. I love him dearly. I don't see him very often, but we're kin. We're blood. I'd never do anything to hurt him. Uh, a father will deliver his child. Listen, children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. I can't imagine how that could happen. What's going on here? Jesus said you'd be hated by all people for my name's sake. But then he gave us this great promise. He who endures to the end will be saved. So in other words, in all of this difficulty that will be coming on the earth, don't stop believing God. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have prayed about something for a couple days and it didn't work and my situation didn't change and I just felt like throwing my hands up and quitting. Anybody ever been there? You can't do this in these last day, folks. These people are going to be crying out to God and, and the answers are going to be long in coming. Their roots have to go down deep in God. They have to be people that are planted in God, serving God, not just for what God will give them and do for them. But because they simply believe in Jesus, whatever the cost. Come on, give somebody, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, now let's go back through that just a second. Jesus said these words to prepare his disciples for suffering. And there is a fact. It's not a fun fact. But it is a fact that believers will be hated because we follow Jesus. That troubles me. I don't understand that. I, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm kind to people. I don't hurt people. I'm a loving person. And when I talk to somebody about heaven and Jesus, it's simply because I want them to go to heaven. But there are people motivated, listen now, by the devil himself. I mean, know there's a prophecy in Genesis that in the last days, Jesus, the seed of a woman, would crush, the, with his heel, he would crush Satan. Well, guess what? There's a, there's, a, there's a hatred between light and darkness, good and bad, Jesus and Satan. And it manifests itself by those that believe and follow the devil. They hate followers of Christ. Jesus even said this in John 15, verse 18. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it yeah, hated. And he was the savior of the world. The world would love you uh, as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer a part of the world. Now, I became a Christian when I was 19, August 15, 1976. Before that day, I was a party guy. I mean, I had several hundred friends, and we'd get together, maybe 300 of us sometimes, having big parties and hanging out and drinking beer and, you know, smoking pot. And back then, we were inhaling. You understand what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, we were, we were, we were that's just the way we lived our lives. I came to Jesus and I went back, and I was friendly, but I wasn't drinking a beer. I was drinking a Coke or whatever. And all of a sudden, something began to change. The very people that used to want to be with me didn't want to be with me. And it wasn't because I was a Bible preacher banging them over the head. I was just living the Christian life. And lo and behold, those people that I thought were my friends, they liked me because I had beer in the trunk. Come on, Phil. Preaching better than you're amening now. Thought your preacher was some holy guy. Well, I am holy now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. 
I am righteous today because I have his righteousness, not my own. But I remember where I came from. Jesus said, I chose you out of the world and it hates you. Uh, let me pause a moment on this idea of persecution. It's happening now on an unprecedented scale. Let me show you a quick Open Doors video. Uh, it's, it, they're, they're one of the voices for the persecuted church. Take a little peek. Around the world, the body of Christ is under attack. A congregation forced out in Algeria. Bibles burned in southern India. A Christian's home destroyed in Vietnam. And in China, an unregistered church is demolished. Just in the top 50 countries on the 2020 World Watch List, so many Christians are beaten, attacked, tormented, and killed for their faith in Jesus. In fact, right now, more than 260 million Christians live in areas of high persecution. That's one in eight Christians worldwide. I would say that for them, it's as bad as the Great Tribulation right now. But it's coming to the world, uh, and, and even in our, our nation. I'm amazed at the hostility that has grown in America the last 10, 15 years toward religion. I'm amazed that in VA hospitals, they won't let people have Bibles. I read about a condominium complex had to literally take uh, a, 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 their condominium complex to court because they wouldn't let them play Christian music in their complex. I mean, it's everywhere, whether it's to do with marriage or whatever. Now, listen, whether you like our president or hate him, one thing that you've got to give it to the man, he's done more to preserve and restore religious freedom to America than any president in modern memory. He, uh, he, it's just a fact. In America... And around the nations of the world, they're doing incredible things to come against what's happening. If you want to really see some things that's get, got a lot of publication now, just do some Google searches for the nation of Nigeria, how they're persecuting Christians today. Anyway, we want to endure, we want to stand firm, which means remain loyal to Jesus and the gospel, either to the end of time or the end of our life. Let's look at verse 14. Now we're going to get somewhat of a prophetic look that began in the Old Testament. Jesus now, he told the boys, he said, When you see the abomination of desolation. I'm going to come back to that. This word abomination means to defile or pollute. When you see a defilement or a pollution standing where it, not, where it ought not to be. He's talking about in the Jewish temple, on the Jewish altar. He says, those believers, if you're in Judea, flee to the mountains. And then he introduces the great tribulation. Remember, there was two abominations. It was one in Titus's day, and then it was another one that's coming in the end, the Antichrist. Uh, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been since the beginning of creation of, that God created until now and never will be. If the Lord did not cut short those days, no human being would be saved. You look at the book of Revelation, there's famine, there's war, there's unexplained bloodshed. It could have wiped out the human race. But for the sake of the followers of Christ, he shortened those days. Now, like I told you, I'm, I, I'm not, uh, uh, I don't consider myself anywhere near an expert on a predictive pattern of when events happen. The most comfortable uh, uh, event explanation that I like is what's called a pre-tribulation rapture that suggests the church will be taken from the planet before the tribulation comes. How many hope that's true? Yeah. Well, I do too. But it may not be. 
And anyway, there's going to be a lot of believers on planet earth when the tribulation is here. Uh, Jesus said in those days, tribulation will happen if the Lord hadn't cut those short those days. Now, abomination of desolation, it refers to the desecration of the altar in the Jewish temple. Now, you remember in the Jewish temple, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And only priests could minister in the holy place. So, Scripture is predicting that someone doing something is going to violate everything holy in the temple of God. Daniel prophesied this. Daniel chapter 11. Now think about this. 700 years before Jesus spoke the words, Daniel looks ahead to the end of time. He said, forces from him will appear. Talking about the Antichrist. They will profane the temple and fortress and will take away the regular burnt offering, the Jewish offerings. They will set up the abomination that is something that is defiled or polluted that makes desolate. Desolate means they'll no longer use the temple anymore. It won't be used to worship God. Now, this literally happened historically in 167 B.C. There was a man, his name is a Syrian ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes. He went into the Jewish uh, uh, synagogue, he went into the temple, and he erected an altar to the pagan god Zeus, and the place where they would make burnt offerings, he sacrificed a pig. That was blasphemous. That was an unclean animal, but he defiled it. That happened one time. It happened again in 70 AD under Titus. Now, Titus was a Roman leader. I read documents that would suggest that Titus wanted to preserve this magnificent temple, you know, to say, show the mercy of Rome. But the Roman soldiers hated the Jews so much, they pillaged the temple, they burned it with fire, they went into the holy place, they took all the golden instruments, you know, of worship and they brought them back to Rome. But now, if we could look forward to what's ahead of us with the Antichrist. Now, I want to read something. It's from my go-to commentary, the Bible, uh, Bible Knowledge Commentary. But let me read just a little bit to give the book of Revelation a little context. Uh, this end-time Antichrist will make a covenant with the Jewish people at the beginning of the seven-year period before Christ's second coming. That's the Great Tribulation. The Jewish temple will be rebuilt. Have you ever heard, have you heard that as of late? Have you read in places where they're talking about rebuilding this temple? The temple would be rebuilt and worship reestablished. But in the middle of the period, after three and a half years, the Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel. He'll stop temple sacrifices, desecrate the temple. This is the abomination of desolation. And he will declare himself to be God. What that means is the book of Revelation says one day there's going to be a one world ruler that will rule the world. The book of Revelation is, and, and, and I don't know how he'll come about, but first of all, there can't be a free and sovereign America if there's going to be a one world ruler. How many understand that? So there are forces to undermine it, but it seems like God is trying to restore some national sovereignty now. We'll have to see how that plays out. But I would suggest to you the most likely way, and this is just my opinion, the most likely way the Antichrist will be given this power. How many know you that to take power has to be taken by force or you give it to them? I would suggest there will be a, one day a one world economic collapse. 
you think about it now. Our economy's going great and unemployment's low and all that. But we don't hear much about the fact how, how our debt is just continues to skyrocket. And nobody's scared by multi-trillion dollar deficits. Nobody's worried about a future. Well, what if that all gets connected around the world and then one day the whole system falls apart? Listen, people are not going to give up. What's going to happen is they're going to get some world, some world leaders together that we can fix this problem. And somebody called the Antichrist is going to emerge and he'll even be so intent on controlling people's lives. This is what the socialist and communist wants to do. He's going to be so intent on controlling their lives, he's going to say if you don't take a mark, perhaps as little or figurative, on your, on your, uh, uh, your forearm or on your forehead, you can't buy or sell. That's kind of the depiction of what happens in Revelation. In the book of Revelation, two things are happening simultaneously. Many people are being saved, but many people are being martyred. You cannot escape this. Revelation is a bloody book. And that is why whether we escape it, praise the Lord, but if we go through some portion of tribulation, may we stand strong, may we be firm, may we not be, not be tied up in the predictions of when, but that we're going to be settled in our heart. We're living for Jesus every day. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Verse 21, Jesus said, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah or the Christ. Mind you now, the world is collapsing. Jesus said, don't believe it. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform what? Signs and wonders, their purpose to lead astray the elect. And then what did Jesus say? Be on guard. So, I've been in the charismatic neo-Pentecostal world for probably 35 or 40 years, over 40 years. And uh, one thing I've observed is, is we oftentimes want to follow miracles and we often want to follow miracle workers. And anybody who has some special gift from God tends to draw crowds. Listen, that's not a bad thing in and of itself, but I don't want to be a follower of miracles. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Come on now. And I want to embrace miracles when they come, but I don't want to just follow the miracle or I could end up deceived. Are you with me here? Because some people are doing miracles because they're anointed by Satan himself. Look at verse 24. In those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. Now remember the text that we read in Peter? It's going to be similar. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers in the heavens will be shaking. And now it's fixing to get really good. And then, say it with me. Then they'll see, come on, say it. The Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Friends, the promised anticipation of Jesus' return to the earth is coming one day. It may, it, listen, it may be a while or it could be shortly, but one day Jesus is coming back and everything is going to have a massive reset. Uh, verse 27, and then Jesus is going to send out angels and gather his elect. Those are the believers predestined to eternity with Christ. They'll gather the elect from the four winds and the four ends of the earth and the ends of all heaven. Can I tell you, friends, that's going to be a glorious day, and that's worth our praise right now. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand today. So when you think about the future, think beyond your retirement home. Think beyond how you're going to pay for retirement. Think about Jesus coming back. Think about our eternal heavenly home. It could be closer than we think. 
Um, let's, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's wrap up here. Look at verse 28. So, in, now, next week, uh, I, I'm going to continue this. We're going to look at what else Jesus had to say about the, uh, 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 his second coming and about how we should be living on the earth. But I want to look at verse 28. This is in sequence again. Jesus said, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. We might say it this way, you know, look at the groundhog and see if he comes out. Of, what is it? If he sees his shadow, we're going to have more winter. If he doesn't, he's going to... I don't need a groundhog to tell me when springtime is coming. I can just look at my daffodils coming up in January. Are you with me today? But, but the point is the same, is there's a sign. This, when the fig tree, as soon as you see the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you'll know summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that Jesus is near at the very gates. Now listen, truly I say to you, this very key. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. Remember, a new heaven and a new earth will replace them. But Jesus said, my words will not pass away. Now, once you look at that phrase uh, about the fig tree in this generation. When I was in my mid-20s, 30, around 30, there was a popular um, uh, interpretation of this verse. It was popularized by a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. And the fig tree was assumed to be the rebirth of the nation of Israel in 1948. How many have heard this? And it, was go, it would follow that from 1948 in a generation was how long? 40 years. And Jesus said that generation wouldn't pass away. So get out your calculator. 1948 plus 40 is what? 19. Hence I bring you a popular book of the day. I lived in San Jose, and it was the buzz of the town. There were churches that would print these things up by the tens and hundreds of thousands, load them in pickup trucks, and on Saturdays, true story, go around and put them in every mailbox around the city because they believed that Jesus was coming back on a certain time in 1988. They even connected it to the Feast of Trumpets, which is Rosh Hashanah. And, I mean, you were coming, and it was the buzz of San Jose, Texas, or San Jose, California. The only problem, though, is they were wrong. And you know why they were deceived? Is because they let uh, a guy, I think he even worked at NASA, who proposed this. He let, they let his argument influence their thinking rather than the Bible. I'll close with verse 32. Concerning that day or hour, can you say that again? No one knows. Not even the guy that wrote the book. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And listen now, Jesus is going to say something four times. He said, be on guard. Keep awake. Be alert, Christian. You don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servant in charge. Who's the man on the journey? It's Jesus. Who are the servants? It's a picture of us. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to work serving the Lord. And he commands the doorkeeper a second time. Stay awake. Verse 36, uh, 35. Therefore, stay awake. You don't know when the master's coming, lest he come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. In other words, be alert. Predicting the end time event sequence is a distraction. 
But friends, if we could keep our eyes focused on living for Jesus every day of our life, if we could be a witness as often as we can to as many as we can, if we can do our best to take the gospel to the whole world, if we will endure difficulty when it comes, knowing that one day our Savior is coming back to this earth and we're going to be with him for all eternity. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He is worthy of all our praise. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? I hope you got something out of this. It's pretty. I'm glad you did. The rest of them, they just kind of endured an hour here, 30 minutes. We'll explore it a little more next week. But uh, take just a second now and, and, and don't worry about Cracker Barrel for just a minute. Don't worry about how you're going to get it, beat the crowd and uh, get your kids. But I wonder what the Holy Spirit said to you. I know your mind was working as we were talking and reading the Bible. I do want to mention, I, I sure hope that you'll come Friday night to that marriage conference, marriage seminar. Listen, I, if you've got a good marriage, it can be better. If you're just starting, it can build a foundation for you. I know some people that have been coming to it for the last 15 years. They have a couple that lives in Dallas, and they make a date out of it, and they come every year to celebrate the place where they met and where they got married. But uh, I hope you'll come to that on Friday night. But, but right now, I want you to take just a minute and ask the Lord. Say, Lord, is there something that you have been saying to me? Lord, as a Christian, my big question is, how, how am I living today? Am I so caught up in my work and having fun that I'm almost oblivious to what's going on? I don't want to be. I wonder, Lord, how I would respond if persecution came my way. Would I be one who quit, ran away from pain, or would I be one because of my roots are deep? I would stand strong and testify for Christ. That's what we want to be, Lord. We don't want to fall away, but we want to be all those who endure to the end. I wonder if you're here today, too, and let's have another private moment. Why don't you bow your head just a moment? And I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I would go to heaven or hell. When these events happen, or if I die before that, I, I, I really don't know. But I want to talk to somebody. Maybe you're here today and say, I, I want to talk to somebody about Jesus. I want to understand about how I can receive his forgiveness. Because I realize living my life my own way is, is not working. And I believe in God, but I'm ready to start following Jesus. Pastor, I want, I want somebody to pray for me. If that's you and you want someone to talk with you and pray with you about your personal salvation, would you just lift your hand? all over the room. Just lift your hand. Wave it at me. Yeah, yeah. Just wave. Yeah, I see your hands. God bless you. Others, just wave your hands. I, I want to talk to somebody. I want somebody to pray with me. I need to get my life right with God. All right, here's what we're going to do, how we're going to close the service. They're going to have one last song. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come around the front. They'll be here to pray for you. But if you lifted your hand, or, or even if you didn't, but you want to talk to someone about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, just slip out of your chair and come meet someone at the cross. They'd love to talk with you about the most important decision in your life. Go ahead and begin to play, Pastor Zach. Is there a playing prayer team coming to the front now? They're here to pray for you. They'll pray with you about anything. Come on, prayer team, up to the front. But most importantly, if you need to make a step to Christ, you want someone to talk with and pray with you about your salvation, we'll see you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming.